What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Amen. Well, great to have you in church today, Father's Day. Uh, Steve Peach is my name, if you don't know me. I'm the ministry team leader here. I woke up this morning, uh, the kids came in, I got the largest Toblerone in the, on the planet. Felt like a, an Egyptian pyramid was sitting on the end of the bed. Uh, and that's uh, all for me by myself, um, which is fantastic, just what I need. Hope you've had a great week. Uh, it's been a busy week for me. Bryce talked last week about uh, the first part of 1 Corinthians 12 and identified the, the battles he'd had in that week. This week has been very busy for me. Uh, lots of things going on in the life of our church. You will have read uh, potentially uh, in your church news this morning or you may read it sometime during the message uh, shortly. Uh, Mel and Joan Delahaye's daughter, Nikki, passed away uh, uh, suddenly this week. That's been a real uh, battle for them, as you would imagine. Uh, we've got folks in hospital all around the place. Uh, lots of things going on in my world, in a staff environment, uh, things that I do with our head office at Kenmore. And uh, Belinda's been out of action a little bit this week as well. And so uh, it's been a bit of a battle this week. And I remember Saturday morning, um, uh, Belinda and I woke up and we had just a time of uh, just quietness together. We were chatting before we got up and uh, we just had a really special moment. We prayed uh, together and there was a real, uh, real sense of God being a part of that moment in time. I remember Belinda and I when we got married. It was the 12th of January 1997. Is that right? <laughs> yep. 12th of January 1997, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it was mid-30s, it was a hot day, Heathmont Baptist in Victoria, and uh, I remember waiting at the altar, um, just for a little bit, not too long, but really excited about marriage, very, very excited. I was only young, uh, I was like 13 at the time, uh, if you do the numbers, uh, and uh, we, we got married, but I remember the anticipation on our wedding day. I was earnestly desiring that process, and I had no idea really what marriage was about. My mum and dad weren't together, uh, but I just know that I was looking forward to that. And I remember reflecting Saturday morning as we prayed together, thinking, I didn't know this part and how good this part was. And this sense of connection for Belinda and I as we'd had a a busy week, but this connection with God, earnestly desiring this union that had brought us together 25 and a half years ago, that actually connects us to God, was just outstanding. It was a real 
blessing for me as a husband. I tell you that story because I want you to remember that picture as we work through this message. When that really gets a sense of, oh, that's why he told us that, you'll know that we're almost finished, all right? It's not straight away. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 12. We're going to run through to the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul here is speaking about spiritual gifts and about community. It's actually about the church. Let me start at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Uh, If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, and the uh, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do we all work miracles? Do we all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. That's Paul's conclusion to this passage in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He's writing to the church at Corinth. I wonder what you think when you hear that passage read, understanding that Paul is talking to a local church about spiritual gifts. Agreement on face value, one body, many parts. Sure, remembering that he's talking to a local church. There's a message that is really pertinent to you and I here at Southport this morning. I wonder if you picked it up as we read through it. It's relevant for all of us here in the room, particularly those of us that have struggled to get involved in church over the years. Maybe you felt a bit hurt by church in your journey. Maybe you're at home enjoying the concept of church online a little more than you anticipated. This passage has something to say to you today, should you be willing to hear it. It's important for the ongoing kingdom growth and effectiveness of a local church, and in particular, our local church. Let me pray. 
Father, we just come before you now, and as we open this text, we read these words from Paul that are inspired by you. We ask that you would speak directly to us, you would give us insight from your scripture through your spirit as to what you want us to pick up, change and understand uh, through this message this morning. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 12, the second half, there's a construct in this passage uh, that allows Paul to repeat himself to make sure that we get the point that he's wanting to make. There's an argument that he sets out in three parts. The first part is verses 12 to 14. It's the basic imagery of the body, the physical body. There is one body, but the body has many parts. His description relates to the church, and he's identifying the church, the local church setting, in this example, the local church at Corinth, as the body, the body of Christ. The Spirit is identified as creating this one body or this church, uh, and it's created into the context of diversity. There is a diverse number of parts that Paul, Paul uh, outlines as he talks through these few verses. Verses 15 to 20, in these verses Paul elaborates on this metaphor of the body, comes back to it. He builds this emphasis of diversity or difference. There's a range of different limbs and we could probably add organs to that. He's talking specifically about external or visible limbs of the body but uh, you could put that in place in terms of internal organs as well. His intent is that we would carry across naturally the understanding into the church setting, identifying that there are many different gifts, that's the emphasis he's got here, uh, that make up the church as a body. Verse 21 to 26, his focus is emphasising this aspect of unity in the body. All parts, all limbs, all parts of the body are working together in harmony, unified, to make up this one body. His, his focus here is to help us understand that because not one person has all of the gifts, we need to be united and work together to have a healthy church. It's important to understand the construct that Paul has put forward in this passage about his focus on the body and the body as being one or unified. The definitive focus of this passage is verse 12, uh, gives us an understanding of what Paul is really talking about. It'll come up on the screen, here it is. Just as a body, that's highlighted there in a different colour, the body is the focus of his attention in this passage. It's the primary focus. Just as a body, though one has many parts, the parts are not the focus, the body is the focus, He's going to talk a lot about the different parts that make up the body, but that's not the focus of the passage. Just as the body focus, though one has many parts, but all its parts, secondary, form one body, that's the focus, so it is with Christ. That's his application point. So for us to be the body of Christ, we need to be one body and we're made up of many parts. That's the focus that he wants us to understand. The body firstly, but not just a body, the body in its oneness. Not just talking about 
uh, any kind of random body, he's saying the healthy body, the right body, the body that reflects Christ is, Christ is the one that has many parts that is made up and is healthy. The church as a body, not the individual in the church as, re- as represented by a particular part or limb, but the church as a body, in this case the church at Corinth. This helps us to see what the target is, what the conversation about gifts is actually about. When Paul rebukes or corrects or gives insight in this passage, it's because he's speaking into the picture of the body as a whole. This picture that Paul describes is the best example, the best illustration he can come up with that helps us understand what it is that represents who Christ is. Now, the problem for us, there's a problem for the Corinthians in the day, but there's a problem for us in our culture today. As we read this kind of text, and the problem is that we are primarily concerned with ourselves first. We're very focused on how this text impacts me, and we think about it, in the mindset of the limb, the process or the part that we will involve ourselves in. What is our role in the church? How is Paul talking about gifts as it relates to me? How does this impact on me personally? That's the cultural filter that we will overlay in this unless we deliberately do something different. That's what the Corinthians were doing, that's why Paul addressed a whole range of things specifically all the way through this book and he talks about uh, the challenges and their application of the gifting that they've used but the focus is actually about the body. We understand it today as our primary process of uh, engaging or disengaging from things that we're involved in. We choose a school for our kids based on how that school will meet the needs of our particular child. That's quite normal. We choose a church based on the programs that it will deliver for us as an individual or as a family or in our life stage, etc. We'll choose an event that we are considering going to based on whether it will engage our interests or our likes. I remember uh, some years ago we had a men's shed night Uh, and uh, we used to do that down the road, we do it here at the church now, and as a part of those nights we'll have a display. We might have a push bike or a motorbike or a car or a boat or a, you know, something. Something for men to look at, a piano maybe, whatever. Uh, And uh, we were talking to an individual uh, who was going to tell his story of faith, Um, but he had an interest in uh, cars. And I asked this particular guy, are you going to come along to the shed on Monday night and he said, no, I'm not coming, I'm not interested in cars. Well, the shed's not actually about cars. There's a thing or two there for you to look at so that you can have some conversation but it's about the story of this person in the faith intersection. No, no, I'm not interested in cars. It's absolutely the way we think and process today. It's understandable for sure. If I went to the shops and I said I want to get a bag of chips, I'd decide whether I want cheese or extra cheese or or original or hot and spicy. I'd decide what I want. 
I make my purchase and I go ahead and I go for it. I think it was Zane who spoke to us a couple of weeks ago in the family service that we had here um, about the advertising campaign that our Defence Force currently has and the shift that it had taken over the last uh, however many decades. It used to be about signing up and participating to defend your country or to give service to your country. Uh, but now there are, there are opportunities for you to study, uh, get a, gra- a graduate degree, uh, travel overseas and have a life of comfort, as uh, Zane identified for, to us for a couple of weeks ago. That's the Defence Force, life of comfort. That's the process of which we evaluate. How does this affect me? What will I get from it? The Apostle Paul is presenting a different lens for you and I to look through as we look at this passage today. The primary focus of this passage is the body, the collective body, the whole body, the church. These three words will hopefully help to explain to you what this looks like. Three words, unity, uniformity and conformity. Paul's focus in this passage is about unity. It's about the whole body. Uniformity is about making, uh, having things that look the same and conformity is about making things look the same. The body is one, but it is not made up of one part. It's made up of many parts. But that's not the whole picture, says Paul. The whole picture is that the body is made up of many parts that are different and diverse. That's the way it has been designed. That's not an accident. The body isn't made up of random parts out of the top drawer out of your bathroom, right? It's not your leftovers. It's with intent that God has designed it the way he has, with perfect design. A completed body, many parts, all different. Some prominent and some modest. Some articulate and some that carry the load. Some are able to absorb pressure and some are sensitive to hearing. Some are able to reproduce and some able to digest. Some parts that kick, some parts that catch. Some parts that are flexible and can conform, other parts that are solid and are hard to break. That's the perfect makeup of the complete body just the way God designed it. Not as a result of an accident or evolution or adaption, rather just as God designed it. Now, it sounds like I'm taking a long time to emphasise this point here. You might be thinking that in your head and starting to look through your church news. I am taking a long time to explain to you the fundamental basics of human anatomy because Paul does in this passage. He repeats it three times. He goes over this process. Why would I do that? Why would he do that? Well, you and I are wired in our flesh to think differently than thinking firstly about the whole. You and I are absolutely immersed in our culture, completely preoccupied, 100% convinced that we've got a body that is not quite good enough. We paint it, we colour it, we nip it, we tuck it, we iron the wrinkles out of it, we lipo-suck it, 
We lift it, we implant it, we pierce it, we tattoo it amongst a myriad of other things that we do with our body. We are convinced within ourselves that what we have is not quite right. Or it doesn't actually represent who I want to be perfectly. So I'm going to change it. So for us to read this passage properly, you have to look through a different lens. You have to. You have to make a deliberate choice right now to say, I'm focused on the body as a whole this morning, not just me. Now, I know that to be true. I know that that will be difficult for us because I've had a number of questions raised with me over the last few weeks about what we're talking through and where this pa- these passages are going in chapter 12 to 14. But not one person has said to me, hey, Steve, how can I play my role in the body better for the good of the whole community? I haven't had one person say that to me. Zane had someone a couple of weeks ago, after he preached, uh, come to him with a full filled out, completed uh, application pack for kids' ministry. Um, and having, not been, having had to take it back again and continue to fill it out and change this, and you only oh, got it double-sided, oh, I didn't realise that. They filled it out completely and said, how can I serve in kids' ministry? He just about fell off his chair. We had to wait, hey, Zane, are you okay, mate? <laughs> this concept of people seeing the whole body thing is unusual. I get it, we're hardwired in the flesh. We have questions that, and attitudes that reflect things like, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I know church members who have been a part of church, this and other churches, who don't serve in any capacity. I know people who participate in church life and only turn up when they're on the roster. I know people who come to church but they leave during the last song so that there's no interaction. I'm not standing in judgment over that person, by the way, if that's you. I know there are people in those spaces in churches all over the world. But it's important that we understand as we read this passage, Paul wants us to think through a different lens. So firstly, we have to understand the design that Paul has in mind. Unity is a goal that he has in mind in this passage. But don't confuse unity with uniformity or conformity. A diverse body is the most accurate representation of Jesus as a body or as the church. People who have different gifts... Absolutely, Paul is addressing that all the way through this book of 1 Corinthians. People who have different backgrounds, he talked about that in this passage, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, he refers to in Galatians, uh, the book of Galatians, which he'd written about five years prior to this one. The body should be made up of people who have different skills, people who represent different areas of culture. Paul has addressed that in here. He's talked about people who come uh, hungry and those who come full, those who come with eloquence, etc. Now, Paul, what Paul doesn't say in this passage 
He doesn't say, you have some conflict in your community. There are some challenges here. What you need to do to solve that is move some of these people out that are different to you. The ones that have different gifting or gifts that you don't have or look different to you or come from the other side of town, you need to get them out so that you can be unified. He doesn't say that. Nor does he say those that are not travelling well, who are poor, need to get rich quickly. Nor does he say they need to change fast or they need to get a different gift or you're not allowed into this community unless you have this particular gift. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't uh, uh, empower uniformity or conformity. But he talks primarily about the need for unity in this community. Jesus said this in John chapter 13 as he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to Peter directly, uh, talking to the disciples as a group. Um, He makes this statement, A new command I give to you, which tells us that it's different than what they'd heard and what they'd been tracking with before, is to love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is in the context of the disciples in their environment and how they are going to live out the call that Jesus has placed on their lives or is about to place on their lives about going and making disciples. It's not about making people uniform or making them conform. It's about understanding who they are and how they fit together in community. So what stops us from serving, from using our gifts? What stops us from exercising the thing that God has given us? Bryce very eloquently highlighted to us last week, when you become a Christian, you are a person who is made in God's image. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, he bestows upon you through his Holy Spirit a spiritual gift, something that will enable you and I to live into the community of faith. You can bring your natural talent and your resources, but alongside that, God will bring in something that will enhance the community, the body, the whole body. And that something will have an eternal value. It's a spiritual gift bestowed upon you. I can go outside and mow the lawns here at the church, which is something that has to be done, but in three weeks' time, they'll, be, they'll have grown up again and it will have, need to be cut again. It's a natural phenomenon that works in the way grass grows, right? It's just a part of how we manage the facility. But there is also a process where God has bestowed upon me a gift, at least one, that he wants me to activate in this community that will have an eternal value, something longer than three weeks. So what stops us from participating in using our gifts? Well, look, there are literally hundreds of things. I'm going to talk about one of these two. The the first one I want to talk about this morning is hurt. I'm going to talk about busyness tonight. But for some of us here... We are familiar with how we can serve and participate in the local church, in this local church. 
but hurt is a part of our history. There are things that have happened to you as a part of local church life that have hurt you. And so your internal dialogue is to say, I didn't think it's wise for me to participate in this again. Last time I participated, it hurt, and so now I'm not going to do that. I once put my arm in a wood chipper, I won't do it again. (laughs) That's just an example, I have never done that. You might be saying to yourself, when we served last, we were left holding all of the responsibility. We put our hand up to participate in something and it felt like everyone else disappeared and I was left holding all of the responsibility. I overcommitted to that ministry area and no one in the church seemed to care. And as a result, I got burnt out. So now, I'm not participating. Or you might be saying to yourself, people, when I was last serving in this way that I could give of myself, using my gifts, people were unchristian and mean-spirited towards me when when they didn't get their own way. They were accusatory and deceitful and I expected more of them because they professed to be Christians. Why would they do that? Why would they seek to be so hurtful? I'm not going to let that happen again. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I've had relationships that I've invested into, into this church, but when I started to serve in this area, those relationships got damaged. There was a fallout of a relational space that I didn't know was coming. The friendships I have in this church are too important to me, so I'm not going to serve in that way again. There are literally hundreds of hurts that you might have experienced in a local church like this. You might have experienced many of them or just one or two. Setting boundaries in kingdom work can be one of the most challenging things to do. But the ministry that you participate in is important, right? Lives can and will be changed as a result of your serving should you lean in. But there's also a weight and responsibility that comes alongside that. As we use our gifts, we have two options. We can learn from our hurts and make sure that we model a way of resolution that's helpful for others or we can let those hurts take us out of the game. The choice is yours, right? I can't make you serve. I could ask you. Uh, I, could, I could put pressure on, even. I hope I wouldn't. But I, but I could, and you could be sort of pushed into it. But ultimately, ultimately it's your decision. You need to know your gift, and you need to know how to use it. Remember, the purpose of spiritual gifts is to edify the body and build up the body. Pursue those gifts, use them and lean in. What could be more important and more satisfying than leaning into the gift that God himself has given you through his spirit? To use something that God has empowered you with for kingdom or eternal 
purposes. So my encouragement to you is to not let your own sense of self-confidence stop you from engaging or the history of hurt to stop you from engaging. The verse, one of the verses I haven't touched on here is verse 31. Chapter 12, verse 31 says this, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Some commentators will uh, translate the construct of this uh, sentence as if to say it's an indicator. Eagerly desire the greater gifts, or what they would probably uh, more accurately translate if they were having that interpretation, um, because you eagerly desire the greater gifts. You're already kind of leaning in this direction, so here's what I want you to do, because you already desire the greater gifts. So I don't think that's the best way to interpret that passage. It speaks against what Paul has been arguing for most of the way through um, this, uh, this little section of Scripture. It's probably more accurate to translate this as a, directly, a directive. He knows that there is a desire in the hearts of the Corinthians. He's addressed it uh, in terms of some of the unhealthy parts and the unhelpful parts, the less constructive parts. Now he lands the chapter with this directive to be eager or zealous, some of your translations might say, for the greater gifts. If you just jump across um, chapter 13 and you go straight across to chapter 14, verse 1, the theme that Paul holds at the end of 12 carries straight on into 14.1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. As Paul walked through this passage here, uh, he gives us an order of some of the gifts uh, in those, uh, verse 27 onwards. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers... He lists some of the gifts that he's already outlined, but he changes the order and he puts tongues right at the end. Okay? He's given us an order and he's shifted these, the, the, the process of tongues to the bottom. If, the, if you saw this as the natural flow, verses 12, uh, chapter 12, 31 into 14, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, you saw that flow being consistent, broken up just in the middle with chapter 13. Chapter 13 tells, about, tells us about the motivation that you and I should have as we activate our gifts, as we desire the greater gifts. We do the things that God has called us to do. That flow between 12.31 and 14.1 is only broken up by the motivation, which is love. Okay? That passage in 1 chapter 13 uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's not actually about a wedding. Um, it's about how to use the gifts that God has given you and what should motivate them. So what is this picture of or the mindset about um, desiring the greater gifts, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit? What is the greater gift? I think Paul has put them in an order here and the ones that are there to edify the whole body are the greater gifts, the things that he wants us to pursue. Uh, prophecy, in the context of what Bryce shared with us last week about telling forth or preaching the word is something that blesses the whole community. Paul is saying, 
in line with his focus of this passage. I want you to invest yourself into the things that are about the whole body. This is about the whole body. It's not about you and your specific spiritual gift. It's not about what did you get and can you change lanes? Can I trade this one or these two gifts in for that one better one? God gives you, as determined by the Holy Spirit, the Paul, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul uh, or Pastor Bryce, uh, highlighted for us last week, the Holy Spirit determines who gets what. But he wants us to eagerly desire the things that are for the whole body. Now, just as we finish, Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16 will come up on the screen. Jesus is in the upper room having uh, had the disciples go ahead and prepare this picture for them. It's the Last Supper, what we refer to now as communion. A really significant moment telegraphing an eternity-changing activity that's about to take place. Jesus speaking to his disciples, I have eagerly desired the same mindset that Paul has put forward in 12.31 and 14 verse 1. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. He's going to share the Last Supper. He knows he's about to go to the cross and die and be resurrected again. The purpose of that is to restore your relationship with God, to make you whole. He is bringing you back, giving you restoration through his death and resurrection. He eagerly desires that, not because of himself, but because of the way he views the whole body. And Paul is saying here, I want you to eagerly desire to go after the gifts that affirm the whole body. So when we read through this passage here about spiritual gifting and about how the practices play out, Paul's focus is in line with what Jesus' focus is about the whole body. The, the body is the best representation that he can have of the, the community in terms of referencing Jesus. This is, what, this is his best illustration. And when I think about Saturday morning and lying in bed praying with my wife. She and I are one and we have a spiritual exchange. An intimate moment is what communion is called, right? That's actually what's an, an, an intimate uh, connection, exchange between us and God. Belinda and I had the opportunity to pray together to have an intimate exchange with God. His view for you and I is that he has gifted you, he's empowered you to commune with him, to have an intimate exchange for an eternal purpose. It only works best when we all work together. Does that make sense? I'm going to pray. We're going to wrap up our service. Caden's going to come and, uh, with the team and lead us in our final song. My encouragement to you is that as we continue to work through this process of understanding what God is doing here. Understand that you and I need to look through a lens that sees the whole body as, and, and unity as the target that Paul has in mind. And it lines us up in terms of how to connect in a healthy way with our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we are just so grateful that you have 
given us gifts. You've empowered us to know you, to serve you, to walk closely with you, to have an intimate communion with you as your sons and daughters adopted into your family. You don't see us as workers or slaves, but sons and daughters. And more than that, you have empowered us, gifted us with something unique to us to serve into your bride, the body, the church. Lord, we want to do that. We, we want to participate in a way that honours you and sees your kingdom grow. In Jesus' name, amen.